Hello, I'm Rosie Dawson and this is the Shiloh podcast, the podcast which aims to shine a light on the ways in which religion can be used to support or to challenge sexual violence. My guest today is Mapula Kebanilwe. Mapula is Senior Lecturer in the Old Testament and Hebrew Studies at the University of Botswana and this interview was recorded during a visit she made to Leeds before lockdown. What the world doesn't hear about in Botswana is the rampancy of gender-based violence and the, you know, the ills that come with it. Recently, we've had the issue escalate to pandemic levels uh, to the detriment of women and girls, you know, and all these things really, uh, the world don't get to hear much about them, but they are very, very serious issues in our country. You say a recent pandemic. I mean, has there been an escalation in recent years? And if so, do you have any idea why that is? The issue of gender-based violence has always been there. But in the recent past, it has grown and increased so much that it's very scary. But I can't really say why that is the case. Of course, crime generally has increased over the last few years with so much unemployment, with so many issues that the world generally is facing in terms of economic issues and stuff. But the issue of gender-based violence and the ills that come with it has actually grown so much in the recent past that it's very, very scary. I, I can't really say why. We're still trying to figure out what has really happened, you know, um, in terms of the numbers in terms of the uh, the escalation of the issue. The other thing that I've learned about Botswana mm-hmm. is that Christianity is much more to the fore in terms of the everyday life of people than it is in this country, for instance. So what's the relationship there between gender-based violence and religion? Uh, Actually, statistics and previous studies indicate that at least 70% of Botswana subscribe to Christianity, and hence the Bible is such a big influence in the country. And it's interesting that in a country like that, you still find so many ills, uh, especially the issue of gender-based violence. And I, as a scholar, I've established that it's possible that the Bible actually colludes with patriarchy, because the culture is very patriarchal, and upon reading the Bible myself as a scholar, I've I've come to understand that the Bible itself is so patriarchal in this culture, and therefore I see a big uh, you know relationship between Christianity as the religion that people subscribe to, and the the issues of gender-based violence because. Both um, the culture of the Bible and the Botswana culture are patriarchal and therefore women um, cannot be treated as equal with men. How did you come to see this in the Bible and read the Bible in that way? Well, I grew up as a Christian in a Christian family and I never understood that my own culture was so oppressive to Uh, the female gender until I started studying theology at university and my perspective changed when uh, feminist scholars would stand in front of me and read the text that I have read over the years differently and you know I came to understand that you know it is not right for me to be treated less than men you know something that was really different from what I had grown up and socialized to believe 
it took um, people, it took scholars and, and feminists to explain to me in a fresh manner the scriptures that I thought I understood. Because in church we are told you can't question the Bible. And in church Paul says, let the women learn in silence. So was that a mixture of deep discomfort and liberation in terms of how you responded to it? Very true. You know, um, that was liberating, but at the same time was very scary and very disturbing, very unsettling, you know, to go home and, and tell my dad that, no, I don't think women should learn in silence, or to go to church and think, what is the pastor saying? I still find myself very uncomfortable when I go to uh, to church to the point I don't belong to any church anymore but I visit because religion is part of my life. My own experience was very unsettling but now I'm at home with the idea that you know God meant us to be equal and that gender inequality is not part of God's plan and order. Uh, and now presumably the students that come to you are in the position that you were in as a student and yeah. perhaps facing these interpretations for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's very true. In fact, um, I've had this experience as a lecturer and scholar of the Bible that after a few lessons, you know, my students, some of my students would come up to me and ask if I was a Christian. And I have come to understand that they must have come from backgrounds that are like myself when I started at university and I had this yearning to learn more about God only to get this big surprise that what you have actually known is not right. How you have interpreted the scriptures is very oppressive. And the students also come with similar expectations that you just feed onto what they have believed, what they have been socialized to believe and to, to practice in their lives. And then when you read it differently, they sort of think you are either not a Christian, not a believer, or maybe there's something wrong with you and this is the perception. And then I've realized also that over time, they come to appreciate and actually come out to talk about their own experiences of oppression and oppressive readings of the Bible, which is quite fulfilling as, as, as an activist and as a scholar. What's happening in churches now? I mean, are there pockets in the churches which are challenging gender-based violence through their different readings of scripture, through you know, redemptive readings of scripture? Um, not much in, in the church, you know. Much of the church is very conservative. I'm yet to find a church where they read the scriptures in much more affirmative ways in terms of gender equality and gender justice. Because most of the churches that I go to and most of the churches that are there, even when they speak out, maybe on television or whatever, you can see and hear that they are keeping the traditional and conventional way of reading the scriptures, where you know, men first, God is a man, and, and men are leaders, and women just sit and you know, at home or whatever. You know, these days, of course, women get education. But the tradition, you know, the culture that says men are superior over women prevails in our churches today and in all institutions, really. Your PhD was on Proverbs, chapter 31. I think the, the passage begins something like a good wife. I was going to say a good wife is hard to find. A good wife who can find. 
Ah, so it kind of is that, isn't it? A good mm-hmm. wife who can find, and her price is beyond rubies or something, yes, is that right? Yes. Just tell me a little bit more about what that passage says and then tell me about how you have read it. Well, the passage actually praises a woman who is much more than a wife. Uh, my translation of the text is instead of buying into the, uh, you know, our English versions that say it's either a woman of virtue or a good wife or an excellent wife and stuff like that, I have said I read it as a woman of courage because Eset Chayil, actually Chayil is used 75 times. This is the Hebrew word. This is the Hebrew word. This Hebrew word Chayil is used 75 times in the Hebrew text with males as its subject and only three times with females as its subject. And it tells me that Chayil means mainly battlefield courage. Like when men go out in the battlefield and they fight and they become men of Chayil because they won the war and stuff. And this woman is described in the same way. And I'm saying it is time we read this woman as a woman of courage. But isn't that amazing that the translators have not used that word have, have, have found a different way of saying what a good woman is mm-hmm. if the predominant translation of that hail is courage it says something about the translators mm-hmm. and the, the mindset they've brought to yeah. their work doesn't mm-hmm. it it says a lot about the translators obviously men who believe that women cannot possess the same qualities as men who fight out in the battlefield and therefore they sort of minimize the strength of the word when it comes to a woman it's feminized in order to suit the uh, you know the roles prescribed to women by patriarchy and and men and therefore um, it has always been ignored and like I'm saying minimized to mean something like virtue or good or but it's much more than that it's it's so packed with power connotations that to me, says this text is a subversive text. It's a text that says, hang on, women can do and perform at the same level and on the same footing as males. And therefore, this is a woman of chayil. She's a woman of power. She's a woman of courage, much the same way as men of courage out in the battlefield. You're working with the Shiloh Project. Tell me what your involvement with them is and what it's meant for you in your work. Uh, the Shallow Project is, is such an eye-opening project. I find it really pivotal at this stage, given the state in our country regarding gender-based violence. And when you talk about rape culture, which is the main thing in the Shiloh Project, when you talk about rape culture and the Bible, and trying to use the same biblical texts to resist gender-based violence and rape culture, I find it really interesting because in my part of the world, in Botswana, we can't, I can't say, let's give up the Bible because it's androcentric. Let's give up the Bible because it's oppressive to women. I can't because it's a text that is not only respected, but it, it is actually taken as a manual for life. It describes and prescribes how life should be done. And therefore, I'm simply saying, because of the, the, the Shallow Project, we can actually read the very same text in much more affirming and liberating ways. Because to me, the Bible presents to us, you know, competing discourses that sometimes contradictory and there's a lot of discrepancy, but surprisingly, the same text 
you know, is so powerful that it has influenced cultures across the world. And the only thing we can do is to try and out of those competing discourses and contradictory um, narratives and messages, we can only seek to find affirmative ways of reading that are not disabling, uh, you know, to others, but that are affirming of equality, for instance, that are affirming of diversity and so forth. That was Mapula K. Banilwe. Next time, Helen Painter from the Centre for the Study of Bible and Violence will be with me, telling terror in Judges 19. Please subscribe to the podcast at the Shiloh Podcast, all one word, .captivate.fm or from wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends about us, send us feedback, leave a review and let us know who you'd like to hear from in future episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Prod Shiloh. That's it for now. Bye.